Jesus, thank you once again for tonight, Lord, and bringing us here. Thank you, God, for everyone connected online and even for those who will be listening to this later. God, I pray that you bless your word, God, that you would speak to our hearts and that we would learn, God, and through learning your word and diving into it, that you would transform our hearts. Thank you, Jesus, that you are a hope, and God, thank you that you are a transforming God, that you transform us, that you change us, and we grow. And it's all because of you, Jesus Christ. What a beautiful name, what a wonderful name, what a powerful name. Your name is Jesus. So we ask for your anointing, and we ask that you would bless your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I read about a man named Raban who worked as an assailant for the RSS. It's a Hindu nationalist organization in India. And so for seven years, Raban loved his role as basically a hired thug. That's what he was. He was recruited as a teen, trained up, and his specific job was to persecute Christians. He would root out Christian farmers, beat them up, and then hand them to the police. But the Lord intervened. His mother, who had become a Christian, prayed for her son. And after a near-fatal motorcycle accident, his RSS friends abandoned Raban, and only his mother stood by him. Well, when he was better, the mother invited him to church. And at first he balked at it especially for the suffering that he had caused Christians in their community. So he kind of didn't want to go. But eventually he did go to church and Robin was surprised by the pastor's gentleness and love. And you know what? Through all that, he ended up giving his life to Jesus Christ and being saved. Well, six months after his conversion, his old RSS friends came back to persecute him. But Rava never backed down. Eventually, he got um, married to a Christian woman. He kept going in Christ, and he got married to a Christian woman. He planted a church, and, and now he's a pastor. Amazing, right? I like something Rava said about his perseverance in the faith. He said this, There's a lot of zeal within me. No matter what comes, we face a lot of persecution. But when I read the Bible and pray... I experience God speaking to me. I have learned that persecution is a part of Christian faith. I am determined to never turn back from my ministry. God gave me a new life, so it doesn't matter even if I die. Now, I I share this story, true story, with you because it really reminded me of Paul, the apostle, about his life. And today as we return to the book of Acts here in our study, we find really the old Saul or the Apostle Paul is no more. He's been transformed. He's a new person now and he is persevering in his faith in Jesus Christ no matter what he faces, no matter what he comes to. So I titled our message tonight, A New Man, A New Mission, and new enemies. A new man, a new mission, and new enemies. 
Uh, tonight we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 9 from verse 20 to 31. 20 to 31. And here I've broken up our section into three parts. And this is the three things we're going to see. Number one, sharing Jesus. Number two, seeking fellowship. And number three is settling it down. Settling it down. All right. Let's begin number one here with Paul being a new man on a new mission and has new enemies. (laughs) We begin with sharing Jesus. And that's what we're going to find him doing here. Number one, sharing Jesus. And we're going to be covering verse 20 through verse 25 in this section, first section here. So take a look with me here. We'll we'll read a few verses here. Verse 20 in Acts 9, it says, And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And he has not come here for this purpose to bring them Uh, And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. So we'll stop there. Now we begin once again with Luke, the writer here, and he's continuing on with this story about Saul or the apostle Paul. Now, After spending, if you remember, some time with the believers in Damascus, we saw that last time, we see in verse 20, Luke writes immediately, or right after that, he starts proclaiming Jesus. You remember after Saul's radical conversion, Ananias, right, came and prayed over him, and his eyes were open. He baptized him with water, and the believers encouraged Saul. For for some days, it, it says up there in verse 19. Well, then, soon after all that, in verse 20, we see Saul going around now to the Jewish synagogues in Damascus. Remember, he's in Damascus in that city now. And he's going around and he's going into the Jewish synagogues and he's preaching that Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, is, he is the Son of God. Now, that term for Jesus, Son of God, it it really only came uh, or was said, I should say, uh, or he was called in that way Jesus when after he came to this earth. It was then he started to be called the Son of God. And really it's a term of the Messiah. That he is the Messiah that was prophesied to come to save us from our sins. And so we know that this, that Jesus, he is God who came from heaven, right? He came to this earth. He died for our sins. He atoned for our sins on the cross and then he rose again Uh, from the dead in victory. So when Paul talks about the Son of God, he really is putting forth that Jesus is the Messiah. He is that one. He is the one, the hope for one that was to come and save us from our sins. So as Paul is teaching and preaching here, remember I mentioned earlier, maybe it was a couple weeks ago, that it all clicked for Paul. 
everything he knew, right? He was a scholar. He was a Pharisee. He was well learned in the scriptures. And everything clicked in his mind that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is God. So everything clicked for Paul. And the Old Testament scriptures clearly declared Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah. And so with that, with his preaching there in verse 27, when we read that everyone who heard that him, right, was they were like totally amazed. They weren't so amazed about perhaps his teaching and his connection of the Old Testament prophecies to Jesus being the Messiah. But they were really amazed like, wait, is not this the man, right? Is this the same guy? The guy who made havoc or went around in Jerusalem, remember we learned that Paul was the, Saul was the one who, who led the persecution in Jerusalem. And so they had heard about him, right? His, his, his hostility and his, his, his vengeance, so to speak, was legendary, right? So they're like, wait, is this the guy? Is this the guy who made havoc in Jerusalem? Uh, 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 upon you know, with those believers, those who are of, remember, quote unquote, the way, is is this really the guy? And has he not come here for this purpose? Right, he came to Damascus. We heard, we knew, with the papers, with the authority to find the believers and drag them to back to Jerusalem to the chief priests, so that they would be held uh, uh, for in trial. So everyone's like, wait. Is, is this the same guy? This man looked like Saul, but he didn't talk like Saul, right? The one who opposed Jesus is now proclaiming Jesus. So you can imagine what's going on in their minds. The enemy of believers we see here is now encouraging what he was so zealously against. And with that same zeal, now it's about Jesus. Everything's flipped over. Everything's turned around here. Can you picture Saul now? He's going from synagogue to synagogue, right? In Damascus. And, and can you imagine that the people, the Jewish men there in, in that city and who attend that certain synagogue, they're like, whoa, the Pharisees here, Saul, he's, Saul's this high-ranking Pharisee, and he's in town, so everyone's out. Every, every eye is on him. They're waiting in silence to hear what he's going to say. Could you imagine Saul asking for a scroll, maybe the scroll of Isaiah, maybe, you know, some of the scriptures, and he, and he unrolls the scroll, and he starts to teach us, as rabbis do, and as, as he's visiting guests, Pharisees come and speak. So he unrolls the scroll and everyone's like on just waiting, you know, in silence, like in anticipation. What is he going to say? Then he opens his mouth and pow, comes out Jesus Christ. This is about Jesus. So here's what's going on. Here's how, how incredible this is and then just blowing the people's minds here. Then it says in verse 22 that Saul increased all the more in strength. Like, like he got more powerful. And it says that the Jews who lived in Damascus, they were confounded. That word means like they, they, they couldn't, they were defeated. They, they couldn't uh, uh, debate against Paul's 
logic and his knowledge of scripture and connecting it to Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. So here's Saul, his Pharisee uh, degree or his learning, right, is what he knew. He's connecting it to Jesus. And so Saul proved beyond a doubt that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. So Saul's radical conversion that we saw earlier is in this chapter is now resulting in Saul's radical preaching. Now, let's go on to verse 23. It says here, When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. So after some time now, the Jews... The men of the city plotted to kill him. They didn't like what he was doing. They didn't like he's going into the synagogue preaching Jesus and Jesus is the Messiah. Kind of the same uh, hostile heart that Saul had before Christ stopped him on that road to Damascus. Well, Saul got wind of it. Uh, He got wind of their plan and they were waiting. They're sneaking by the, the, the gates waiting for him to maybe leave or come in of of the city, and then they're going to grab him and kill him outside the city. But we read here, Saul safely escaped by the believers helping him, lowering him down in a basket. I was reading this basket must be quite large for him to be in it. Well, it was. It was a basket they would use for like refuse, for for trash and stuff. And they, they, they would dump their trash outside the city wall. Well, they got a rope, lowered him down so he can escape maybe uh, not by the city gate where you go in and out, but another part of the wall. They were upset. Saul had defected to the other side and the hunter now became the hunted. Saul was totally transformed here. He was a new man on a new mission preaching Jesus. And now you see new enemies. His, those who were his partners are now his enemies. Now, before we go on, take note of this. Where it says here in verse 23, when many days had passed. Now, it could refer the many days to the three years that Saul spent in Arabia. And I want you to see this. Turn over to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Turn over to the right in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. And Paul gives us a little insight on what was happening here and what we're studying in Acts chapter 9. And if you go to Galatians chapter 1, let's back up to like verse 15. He's writing here, but when he had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach to him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Then verse 17, nor did I go up to Jerusalem 
to those who are apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then verse 18 says, Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, which is Peter, and remained with him 15 years. Now we're going to see uh, back in Acts 9 that he's going to end up in Jerusalem. So what is believed that perhaps you can go back to Acts 9 that perhaps between verses 22 and verse 23 is that when that was when Saul went to Arabia. Now this Arabia is is really Arabia, Nathian Arabia outside of Damascus. But he spent some time over there. He spent three years, Galatian tells us. And then he returned to Damascus. So uh, it, it could be between verse 22 and 23 was when he spent three years away. Now some say it's actually between verse 21 and 22. Verse 21, they were wondering, who's this guy? He's talking about uh, Jesus as the Son of God. And then it says, but Saul increased the more in strength. So it could have gone away for three years and came back stronger uh, and, and, and then was, was more powerful confounding their Jews who lived in Damascus. Well, or, or it could be, um, I'm not sure, I'm kind of leaning it's in between verse 22 and 23 where it says when many days have passed so it could be that Saul left uh, went three years in Arabian desert what did he do there well it's believed he he spent time with the Lord yeah it's believed he spent time in just intense time with Jesus teaching him more the scriptures about doctrine, truth, a lot of the things that he, he writes about in his epistles. And then when he returned to Damascus, like Galatians 1 tells us, it was then perhaps he went preaching and then the Jews plotted to kill him. Oh no, he's back. No, we, we got to stop him. We got to get rid of, rid of him. And so we read to Galatians 1.15 that he consult not with anybody but it's believed he was with Jesus this whole time. I like that, that he spent that time with Jesus Christ. I was thinking about something William R. Inge said, if we spend 16 hours a day dealing with tangible things and only five minutes a day dealing with God, is it any wonder that tangible things are 200 times more real to us than God? I thought that was pretty good. Think about Paul, though. Saul, he spent three years in intense time, uh, maybe in the desert, with Jesus. And no wonder he came back so on fire, so much zeal for Jesus Christ. And no wonder all the truth and principles that he writes about in his epistles, he got that straight from Jesus. All right, well, overall, the Jews unexpectedly find Saul sharing Jesus. Saul is sharing Jesus, and that shows a transformed life. Especially with Saul, right? I mean, he was the one against Jesus. He, he, he was opposing everything about Jesus. But now he's promoting. Now he's a proponent of Jesus Christ. So certainly with Paul, with Saul sharing Jesus, it shows that he really does have a transformed life.
Uh, I think about the zeal of new Christians, right? When you first come to the Lord, oh, you see, you see these new believers just, just all excited about Jesus, right? We go around, we want to tell everybody. I, I, I remember first coming to the Lord in those first years, just uh, being at Calvary Chapel, and we, we would go out witnessing on Friday nights, and we pass out tracks and, and with the youth, and, and, and we go to like a fun park or down by the beach, or, or, or I remember driving up to Hollywood or West LA and passing out uh, tracks. I remember telling everyone I could, telling my parents, uh, my cousins, neighbors, you know, it, it was just that zeal we have as new Christians. I was thinking about what happened? <laughs> we got old. Yeah. Sometimes we, we, we kind of, oh yeah, you know, that was just that emotion. But we still should be sharing Jesus, shouldn't we? I mean, I've, I've been just trying, I've been praying. And, and today, I'm, I, every day I try and be open to the Holy Spirit and, and what He would want me to do in sharing Jesus. I'm, I'm trying to make new friends, new surf friends and new friends with neighbors and just just trying to do whatever wherever God sends me and and just trying to share God plant seeds praying for them I think that's important because it's part of our transformed life it's part of our calling as Christians it's our great commission like Jesus gave the disciples to go out into the world and make disciples to bring people to Christ let me ask you tonight, has your zeal cooled down now after all these years being a Christian? I know mine can. I know it, it has, but I, I'm going to light that fire even more, you know. I don't want it to get cooler. I want it to get hotter. And reading this and seeing Saul and his zeal here, it, it's inspiring. And we see that it certainly shows his transformation. And so shouldn't people see our transformation that maybe before we didn't really talk a lot about God, but now we are. Now we talk about him because we love Jesus. We worship and we know who he is and, and we know the issues of heaven and hell and salvation and, and forgiveness and sin and that people need Jesus and his forgiveness. Do people see that kind of transformation in you where you're sharing Jesus? Do people around you even know that you're a believer? I like this um, little poem. It goes like this. You are writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by deeds that you do, by words that you say. Men read what you write, whether faithless or true. Say, what is the gospel? according to you. It's always convicting to hear that. People are reading us, and do they find Jesus when they read us? Do they show a transformed life? Paul here, he's a new man on a new mission, preaching Jesus, not against Jesus, and he's making new enemies at the same time. But nothing's going to stop him from sharing Jesus. All right, let's go to number two now. Number two is seeking fellowship. Seeking fellowship. And here we're going to cover verse 26 and verse 27. It says here in verse 26, 
And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. It's kind of funny, yeah? But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Now, Saul he then left Damascus and went to Jerusalem. And when he went into Jerusalem, he tried to hook up with the disciples. But we read here in verse 26, they were all afraid of him. Isn't that funny? What? Saul wants to see us? Wait, what? wait, wait, this is a trick, right? I mean, what's going on? Does he want to grab us? Does he want to arrest us? Remember, it's been over three years since Saul came to Jesus. And maybe not, they hadn't heard much, or maybe there was some news, but then he's kind of gone. Or, or maybe all they heard, you know, was like, what? Saul? Maybe all the last time they knew he was in Damascus, and they didn't know what's going on. So is it true? They're in question here. Where has he been in these years? Um, um, is he really the same person, or is, this, is he fooling us? So think about this. No one believed that Saul... Uh, uh, could really change. That a man like that would really become a Christian? No way. No way. And it really makes sense, doesn't it? How hostile he was, how legendary he was in his hostility. In his testimony in Acts chapter 22, verse 4, he actually said, I persecuted the way to the death. So he is a scary fellow. Binding and delivering to prison both men and women. So you could imagine what's in the minds of the disciples, of the believers there and the apostles there in Jerusalem. But good thing Barnabas is around. Barnabas went and found Paul, took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them, look, uh, this is what happened. On the road to Damascus, this light shone. And he he shared all of that. The Lord, actually, Jesus spoke to him. And now he's preaching boldly in the name of Christ. So here's Barnabas testifying for Paul that, no, he is really a transformed man. He really is a new man on a new mission here. You got to see that. Barnabas is trying to tell them that Paul, just like them, was saved and now he's preaching Jesus Christ. Perhaps the last memory of the disciples, these believers of Saul, was this rampage, persecuting the believers. But Barnabas is saying, no, this is a different guy. Now, Barnabas, if you remember, we were introduced to him back in Acts chapter 4. His, do you remember his actual name? Joseph. His actual name is Joseph. But the apostles called him Barnabas. Remember, he sold his property, the time people were selling their property and uh, giving it over to the Lord to help the needy people, the widows and all. Well, he was one of the guys there in Acts 4 that did that. And the apostles called him Barnabas, they highly respected him because Barnabas means son of encouragement. So they like change his name, Joseph, to son of encouragement, Barnabas. 
And so here's Barnabas, the son of encouragement, the encouraging guy. That was like probably his big gift, a big, you know, his gift of encouragement. God used Barnabas to welcome Saul into the church, to encourage others to, to love him. We need more of these Barneys in the church, don't we? <laughs> I was thinking about, oh yeah, the purple dinosaur. He's a pretty nice guy, pretty encouraging. Maybe that's why they named him Barney. No, I don't know. I don't know that. But it sticks in my mind. So, seeking fellowship, this was Paul, seeking fellowship with believers who he once went after. He, he, he sought them out. He wanted to be with the believers like he, were, he was within Damascus. And now in Jerusalem, can you imagine, you know, the last memory in their heads was this rampaging Saul, but he wants to go and say, no, it's not me no more. I'm, I, I'm sure he wanted to go to them and apologize and, and seek their forgiveness too. I'm sure he wanted to go and say, look, I'm in the Lord now. Um, I'm, I'm like you guys. I've been forgiven. I've been saved by Christ. And so here's Saul seeking fellowship with believers who he once went after. And good thing Barnabas was there. I read about a young man who got saved and he went off to school. Then he returned to New Guinea. Uh, He went back to his home island, to his home village. And there, there was a church, and he walked into the service, and they were already partaking in communion. And the missionary who was leading the service felt this intense tension in the air, and then suddenly it seemed to be gone. And he asked this, the, the, another man in the church, saying, Are you all right? And the man said, Yes, yes, I am now. And this man explained, Do you see that young man that came in for communion? Well, you know, years ago, he murdered and ate my father. And so seeing him just shocked me. But I'm all right. Remember, this young man is saved in Jesus now. But I'm all right, said the man. And I like what he said. He is also washed under the same blood as I am. I love that. I love that. We, we need to see each other in that way. No matter how bad, no matter how mean, no matter how, what had happened, that when a person gets saved, that they're washed under the blood also. And we're together in this. And, and I'm sure that's what the disciples were realizing, the believers there as, here's Saul seeking fellowship with us? What? Oh, wow, Lord, you've forgiven him like you've forgiven me. So may that encourage us even in our individual issues and our relationships. May it even encourage us to be an encouragement, you know, to welcome those who seem to have been an enemy once, but welcome them as now a brother, a sister in Christ. I read this, encouragement is like a peanut butter sandwich. The more you spread it, the better it sticks together. (laughs) I like that one. Yeah. Let's be encouraging people. So here's Paul, a new man on a new mission, and he has new enemies. And we see him sharing Jesus, seeking fellowship in Jerusalem. And now number three, I call this last section in our passage tonight, 
settling it down, settling it down. And this will cover verse 28 through 31, the rest of what we'll see tonight. But first of all, take a look at verse 28 and 29. So he, that's Paul, verse 28, went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. We'll stop right there. Okay, so Saul, he basically joined in with the work that they were doing there and sharing Jesus. So he went in and out among them, in and out of the churches and the synagogues and, and, and at Jerusalem, and he was preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. So just as he was doing before in Damascus and sharing Jesus, he continued on in that ministry as this saved Pharisee with all his knowledge connecting the Old Testament scriptures to Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah and how Jesus fulfilled all those prophecies. So here's Paul just sharing, sharing that in the name of the Lord, it's about Jesus here. And it says in verse 29, he disputed, he debated against the Hellenists. You remember the Hellenists were the, the Jews who didn't grow up in Israel, but grew up outside of Israel in the Greek-speaking countries. So they were called Hellenists. They stayed devoted to Judaism, but they, they could speak Greek, they could uh, speak Hebrew. They, they, they were like um, those who... Who were who outside, but they were still Jews, and they were considered part of the group of Jews. Well, the Hellenists, if you remember, like Stephen was part of that too, remember? Uh, they they uh, debated with Saul about that. I mean, I was thinking maybe it could be the very ones that Stephen debated with, you know, back in Acts 7, and maybe it's the very ones that, that, that were in party to kill Stephen, stone him. But here's Saul picking up where Stephen left off. But it ended up, we see, that his old partners, the guys he used to run with, right, they turned into new enemies and they were seeking now to kill Saul because now he's defected, because now he's, he's, he's going against what they are about. In Acts chapter 22, verse 18, it actually tells us, and verse 19, that Saul in his testimony there, he shares that God spoke uh, to him in a vision to get out of the city. So he, God said, hey, they're going to kill you, and you better leave the city. So for his safety, in verse 30, and when the brothers learned this, like Saul told them, hey, look, I, I, I had a vision. God told me they're going to try and kill me. So his, his brothers, the believers there, when they learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So uh, here, here he's in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is, whenever you go to Jerusalem, you go up. Yeah, it's, it's up on a plateau on a mountain. And where, wherever else you go, you're going down. Well, I tend to think when you go north, you're going up. And when you go south, you're going down. But Jerusalem is, is exalted in that way. So when it is written here that uh, 
they brought him down to Caesarea. Caesarea is like actually a little more north uh, on the Mediterranean coast uh, of, of, um, from the location of Jerusalem. So, so they took Paul, they escaped, brought him to Caesarea. And that's on the coast. Now on the coast there, he then took, him, took a boat. They sent him off to Tarsus. So it's believed he went on a boat, sailed over up more north into that area of old Turkey of today. I mean, today's Turkey, uh, Asia Minor back then, Galatia, that area. And that was his hometown. Remember, Saul is from Tarsus. So he went to his hometown. So he went way up north here. So for now, but if you can see the picture here, Saul is gone from this whole scene. So things are settling down somewhat. Now from what we understand, Paul is off the scene now. He's not going to come back on the scene for, you know what, another seven years. Seven years. We're going to see his name starting to pop up in Acts 11 and more things in 12. And 13, it's like back with Paul. And remember I mentioned at the beginning of our study in the book of Acts, really Acts is a span of maybe like 30 years. It's not like one after another, one after another. Uh, So Paul is kind of up there off the scene in Tarsus. Now, in Galatians chapter 1, again, Paul fills this in. He writes uh, that when he was there, he actually shared Jesus, kept sharing Jesus in Syria and Cilicia, which is to the west of that. So I think he was still going around in that region and probably, possibly, most likely sharing to the Gentiles. So there wasn't so much that Jewish uproar. So, though we don't read too much in details of what he was doing, though it seemed quiet, Paul did not stop sharing Jesus. But overall, yeah, things quieted down. So then in verse 30, or 31, excuse me, it says the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So what Luke is saying here is is that the church now, the believers, the Christians in Israel, Judea is like uh, where Jerusalem is, it's that kind of southern area, county, you could say, in Israel. Galilee is to the north. Uh, Samaria is in between. And so it's like all of Israel, where the believers and where, where the churches were, there was peace. Why was there peace? Things had quieted down. Why? Because Saul, that monstrous persecutor of the church, was saved. So Luke's kind of bringing things in here and summing things up. And he was saved. And then, you know, this animosity against Saul, this traitor to them, that even quieted down. So things were in relative peace as far as it goes with the church. And in that, God created this atmosphere where the church was being built up. 
they, 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 it was like there was a time now where the church could grow and the new believers could grow stronger and that they could learn and that in the Holy Spirit, in the fear of the Lord and comfort of the Holy Spirit, then the believers even multiplied more. So, in this relative sort of time here, God created this atmosphere for the church to actually grow, get more founded, new believers to, to mature more. And that was, well, at least for now. You know, it was interesting, I was reading um, Adam Clark in his commentary writes that at this time, that Caesar Caligula rose to power. And at this time, he, 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 he ordered a lot of the uh, writings or documents in Alexandria, Egypt. Remember, it had a large library. A lot of the Jewish writings to be destroyed. Then he ordered an image of himself, of Caesar, to, uh, he tried an attempt to set up his statue in the Jewish temple. So, the Jews were kind of busy, you know, fighting against that. And Paul was kind of out of the picture. And they, they were fighting against Caesar and not so much against the believers at this time. So settling it down, God orchestrated events to quiet things. Settling it down, God orchestrated events to quiet things to help the church grow. To, to, to help the church, I believe, have a little break from this craziness to establish and root you know, bring deeper roots to these believers. Amy Carmichael once wrote this, Praise him who went before to search out a resting place. May it be a place of victory too for his own glory's sake. I think about uh, uh, how Jesus took the disciples away, you know, after a lot of ministry to just rest. To, 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 to have a time of physical rest, spiritual rest, emotional rest. And, and, and that's what Amy Carmichael, Amy Carmichael is talking about, that praise him, God who searches out a resting place for us. And I, I, I think it's important. God knows when we need a break from the battle. And I think sometimes he's like, you know, stops everything and gives us that moment, gives us that day it gives us those hours where we can just rest and be with the Lord. Rest, a respite from all the craziness going on. And, and you know, look for that, you guys. Find those moments. Find those days, possibly. And God will give it to you and bring it to you and, and, and settle things down, you know, as he providentially orchestrate events for you. Enjoy that. Enjoy that. But let me say, don't take, get too comfortable there. You know, like, oh, this is all I want to do. I just want to veg here, you know, kind of thing. And then that's all you do is veg. I was thinking about this. There's um, three lines of attack that Satan does. First of all, what he tries to do is keep you from Jesus. Yeah? Keep you from coming to Jesus to be saved. But if you do come to Jesus and he doesn't stop you there, then the second thing is he keeps you from being act, an active and useful Christian. He doesn't want you to affect the world, influence people around you, to show that transformed life. Paul was on it right away, right? He's sharing Jesus. Well, 
Satan wants to keep you from that. And I think a third thing is, if he, is that if you do rest, Satan a lot of times will keep you from getting back into the battle. So watch out for that. Watch out for maybe a spiritual laziness that we can get into. You see, Christ in our lives has automatically created the devil as our enemy. We were once on his side, right? So he didn't care about us. We're just living in the world, blind to the truth of God, as Scripture tells us, and we, we're just living for ourselves and sin, and, oh, you're okay. But once we defect from being an unbeliever to being a believer, and once Christ comes in our heart and he transforms us, and then once we have this truth and we want to proclaim that truth, we want to share that truth, we want to do everything to further the kingdom of God, then we have made an enemy. And he makes other enemies to come against us to try and stop us. So expect that, that that's going to happen. And in expecting that, stand against that. Be unstoppable. Vance Havner said, A real firebrand is distressing to the devil. And when a wide-awake believer comes along, taking the gospel seriously, we can expect sinister maneuvering for his downfall. It's true. It's true. So don't let the enemy's tactics stop you, but be who you are in Jesus, an unstoppable force. I was thinking about Saul in this passage. He was a force to be reckoned with, right? There's that phrase, yeah? That's Saul. That's his zeal. That, that's his passion, yeah? And even though, I mean, we read here, right? I mean, they tried to kill him in Damascus. They tried to kill him in Jerusalem. He had to flee, you know? I wonder if it was discouraging to him. I wonder if he went to Tarsus and was like, ah, I don't know. I don't know about this calling. I, God, I, it's not working. Yeah. But no, as I mentioned, Galatians 1, no, he kept sharing Jesus. Following the will of God, God had him flee. This was what God wanted him to do. But he kept sharing wherever he went. And we have to have that kind of unstoppable perseverance, passion, and heart in the face of no matter what comes at us. I'll close with this. A Chinese woman, Rachel Han, lost her baby daughter to leukemia. She hit bottom with that and wondered, what is the point of life? But then one of her friends replied and said to her, do you know Jesus Christ? Well, half after hearing the gospel, Rachel, Rachel gave her heart to Jesus. Now, being an open Christian in China is dangerous. Uh, uh, so it's all, you've you got to be secret there because the government is, is, the communist government is against that. Well, she would, in her faith, she would secretly travel like three hours to attend the nearest underground church. Isn't that crazy? 
Sometimes we think, what? Oh, it's too far, you know, yeah. <laughs> Mako, oh, no. Right? She went three hours just to go to church. Later, she ended up, um, the, a church started, ended up uh, in her home. But uh, the government got wind of it, shut it down, and then also Rachel was charged for smuggling. You see, she became part of this, this, I guess you could call it China's underground railroad that was helping North Korean defectors make their way to South Korea. Rachel was actually sentenced to 10 years in prison. But, in, but prison didn't stop her from sharing Jesus. She just kept sharing. She sang loudly worship songs. She was constantly quoting the Bible for anyone and all to hear in prison. And then in less than a year, the authorities couldn't take it anymore and released her. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Today, Rachel and her husband serve their local underground church, and they're continuing to provide humanitarian aid to those trapped in North Korea. And you've got to know she's sharing Jesus. You've got to know that. I love that. <clears throat> that inspires me. That makes me think, wow, what's, what's stopping me? You know, right? Sometimes it's the smallest things. Sometimes it's my own. Maybe like, oh, I'm going to be shame or something, you know, right? I mean, people like this are facing death. They could die in prison, you know, uh, uh, taken away from their family. Paul taken away, you know, but he's still preaching Jesus. Her life truly is a testimony of a transformed life. You know, when we preach Jesus, when we share Jesus, when we, no matter what, and we're unstoppable, that shows we have a transformed life. And her life, and like Paul, that we see today, let's be that too, yeah? We see Paul, he is a new man on a new mission with new enemies. Let's pray. Lord, in <clears throat> what we have learned today, God, I've been stirred up and inspired, and I pray that we all would. Lord, I pray that in our hearts you would help us to understand, God, what really matters today, what is your plan in our lives and what you're you asking us to do god lord let us share you jesus wherever and however we can let us not hold back when your spirit is saying to speak god let us not our own self shame or uh, uh our own self wanting to stay comfortable don't want to make any waves kind of thing God, may we just lay our lives down on the line to sacrifice for you because you sacrificed for us, Lord. But in it all, may we see miracles happen, Lord. May we see people that we care about so much that we pray for come to know you, Jesus Christ, that they may be saved also. For your truth and your gospel is powerful, Lord. The gospel is the power of salvation in Jesus. It's you. So, Lord, help us tonight to have this in our heart, to have the same zeal, to have the, the same passion as Paul did, and to show that 
We are new people with a new mission. And even though we might have new enemies, God, that's not going to stop us, Lord, because we want to live for you. So thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.